Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Way back in 1912, the automobile was still a very new invention, and Canada was not exactly known for having paved roads at the time. In fact, Throughout the entire country, from the Pacific to the Atlantic up to the Arctic, there was only 16 kilometers of paved road. Despite this, two men decided that they wanted to drive across the country and be the first to take an automobile from one end of Canada to the other. Those two men were Thomas Wilby and Jack Haney. It all began on August 27, 1912 in Halifax, as a vehicle designed by the REO Motor Company and built at their plant in St. Catharines, Ontario, began the journey. Of course, things got off to a rough start when the car went missing before it was ever delivered, and it took several days to find it and deliver it to Halifax. At that point, it was backed into the waters of the Atlantic Ocean. From this moment on, and for the next 52 days, the vehicle and the two men would be driving across Canada. Wilby, a travel writer from Britain, had been the one to come up with the idea of the trip. Getting the REO Motor Car Company to sponsor his trip, he was given not only a car, but also a driver and mechanic. That driver, who also served as a mechanic, was Jack Haney. The two men could not be more different, and neither would become fast friends to each other on the long journey. Haney was the perfect mechanic for this trip. He prepared for everything, fitting the car with two trunks for reserved gas tanks, tins for oil, spare inner tubes, a pump, chains for the wheels, hooks for getting out of mud, and a block and tackle. The car itself had five seats and a 30 horsepower engine that started with a crank. An overhead roof would be folded up, and it had three speeds along with a 60 liter gas tank. Its top speed was a blistering 60 kilometers per hour. Wilby, the aristocrat from England, insisted on sitting in the back seat and barked directions at Hanley as he drove. Wilby would go on to ride a motor tour through Canada, which celebrated the car and Canada, and predicted that one day cars would be everywhere. He also pushed for a cross-country roadway to link the provinces in the same way that the railroad had once done. Haney, for his part, also wrote a diary, which was much bleaker than Wilby's. He called Wilby the captain, and had no love lost for him. Wilby never even mentioned Haney in his book, and even had him airbrushed out of all the pictures. Haney would take his own revenge, writing that Wilby never helped change a tire in the dozens of times it was required, and never once helped to push the car out of the mud. To put this in perspective, the car had to be pushed out of the mud hundreds of times. In addition, 
will be only referred to his companion as the chauffeur, and only said that four times in the 290 pages of his book. Haney said that Wilby was a British snob, and when first introduced to him, Wilby insisted on being called Sir. Through their journey across the country, they would drive through swamps in northern Ontario, drive on rail ties through British Columbia, and nearly come to ditching each other many times. In New Brunswick, they drove for 8 kilometers on felled logs that served on the road and even ran out of gas. Haney was forced to blow into the gas tank to push the last few remaining bits of fuel into the engine so they could continue on. Wilby would say, after some time, by dint of blowing in the tank to gain pressure, the car was started again. That the unfortunate chauffeur did not burst his cheeks or succumb to asphyxia, as to fell to his lot to blow into the petrol tank every few minutes of the remaining journey. The journey through eastern Canada went relatively well thanks to the abundance of trails and dirt roads that could be used by the two men. The only paved road in the entire country was found between Toronto and Hamilton. The rest was dirt, or no road at all. In Ottawa, with still a long way to go, Hainley would write in his journal that he was heartily sick of his companion and will be mightily glad when the trip is over. Wilby insisted on taking the trip along the All Red Route, so named because Canada was colored red on maps at the time, and he refused to venture into the United States. Things became a bit more difficult once they reached Sault Ste. Marie, and from that point until Winnipeg, the vehicle had to be loaded onto a train and transported. There were simply no roads to drive at that point. The two men would make it to Regina on September 27, 1912. In Regina, the two men stopped to meet with the heads of the Saskatchewan government, and they talked of the need of a highway linking all the provinces, a common thread on their journey. The members of the Moose Jaw Auto Club decided to set out and meet the two men at Pence. Unfortunately, they took a different road and completely missed the club. The journey was mentioned in the local newspaper, saying, In a day when a great stretch of the country possessed no roads, or at best, trails, which are often meandered into swamps or ended on mountain ledges, the venture was considered by some to be sheer madness. Therefore, it was a surprise to many when the Rio and its occupants arrived in Regina quite intact. Speaking to the members of the Auto Club in Moose Jaw, Wilby praised the prairies. He said, The world was silent, majestic in its hush and sense of arrested motion. It was grand and large, unspoiled and primordial. It was the real West at last. After speaking to the club, he said that the prairie roads were not bad, but several herds of horses had run in front of the car, hurling huge clods of dirt at them. He also criticized the fact that there were no road markers to identify a road that the person was on, not even between Moose Jaw and Regina. Later that day, the two men left for Swift Current and would be in Medicine Hat by that evening. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. They would reach the Crow's Nest Pass on October 3rd, and they would continue on to Cranbrook and Yak, where they found no road at all. They decided to drive on the railroad track instead, agreeing that if a train was coming, they would both jump off to safety. Finally, over 50 days after leaving Halifax, the two men arrived in Alberni, British Columbia on October 14th. Driving up to the water, they dipped the front wheels in and celebrated the completion of their journey. In writing a piece for newspapers across Canada in November of that year, Wilby would state, 
The start having been made from Halifax about 4pm in dull, cold weather, and the arrival in Vancouver, by coincidence, was made at the same hour, under the same weather conditions. He would continue to write about the journey, never once mentioning Jack Haney in the article. Road conditions were bad, owing to the immense rainfall in every part of the country, especially Manitoba. Over the course of the trip, which was 3,900 miles, of which 700 miles were covered under power other than the car due to the lack of roads, the two men would average 120 miles per day, but in the prairies this was reduced to 60 miles at times. The highest total for distance traveled was between Maple Creek, Saskatchewan and Lethbridge, Alberta, when the two men drove 185 miles. The lowest distance traveled was 14 miles. Following the journey, Wilby would publish his book and keep writing travel diaries. Haney would return to St. Catharines, Ontario and marry Annie Glendini Swan. He would join Wells Garage before starting his own garage, Haney's Garage, at 50 Niagara Street. He would be a charter member of the Canadian Flying Club when it was formed in 1928, and he passed away in 1935. The Trans-Canada would finally be built half a century later, when construction began in 1962 and was completed in 1971. In 1997, John Nicol and Lauren Findlay set out on the same journey as the original two men in 1912. This is the audio from an interview they did with CBC that year. This 1912 vintage Rio is reenacting a little known piece of Canadian history. 85 years ago, two men set off from Halifax for a cross-Canada road trip. It was the first time anyone tried to drive across Canada. The 6,700-kilometer ride over fields, swamps, and railroad ties was at least hair-raising and probably pretty hard on the rest of the body as well. Now, two people are recreating the same trek. They left Halifax last month, and they are halfway through the trip. Mr. Finley, why are you doing this? Well, I've been interested in this uh, first ever trip across Canada by automobile uh, for a number of decades, and I've gathered a lot of material about the trip. It's, it's become a bit of a, a passion with me. And uh, in 1980, I acquired the, the car that you see behind me, and uh, it is exactly the same year, make, and model as the car that did the trip across Canada. And from that moment, uh, I knew that I would uh, someday have to do the trip over again to get it out of my system. And you're doing that's it what, now. And that's what I'm doing now. Mr. Nickel, now you're, you've obviously uh, been taken by this story as well. You wrote a book about the original trip. Tell me something about that 1912 trip. You know, uh, it's a remarkable thing that they actually were able to get across the country. Uh, for starters, they, they didn't get along right from day one in Halifax. Now they are who? Thomas Wilby was the, was the British writer? Uh, yes, and Jack Haney was the mechanic from St. Catharines. And uh, Wilby wanted uh, sort of a forelock-tugging sort of uh, person who would, you know, cater to his every need. And uh, Haney's goal was to get the car across. And so uh, they, uh, they didn't hit it off for starters, and then it got worse. So uh, you can imagine, uh, you know, traveling with somebody in the same car. And each day, uh, Haney basically had to take the car apart, put it back together again, and Wilby just sat. And uh, any time they got stuck in mud or anything, he'd just sit on the roadside and watch them. So uh, it was an amazing uh, feat for the men. And now that we've covered the same, same half, half the same trip, you, you notice the, uh, the obstacles that they had to come across. What the trip has been like, how does your car drive? Oh, it's a wonderful car to drive. It has a very positive steering, so it steers uh, very nicely on the road. It, uh, it performs well. It pulls up the hills. Everybody warns us about the hills, but it's doing a great job of pulling up the hills. Um, 
and it runs along hour after hour at uh, 60 kilometers or 40 miles an hour, uh, just as comfortably as can be. It's really quite comfortable to sit in. We've mm -hmm. noticed that we're, we're not getting driver fatigue. Well, let's just uh, check now with your partner, Mr. Nickel. Yeah. Is it really comfortable to sit in? Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm not a, all that comfortable sitting on the gas tank and uh, <laughs> not having any seatbelts, but other than that. Uh, other than that. Well, Mr. Findlay, now you mentioned you go uh, 60 kilometers an hour. So where do you drive? I mean, I assume you weren't traveling on the Trans-Canada Highway. No, we've, we've laid the trip out beforehand uh, using as many secondary roads as we can. And uh, this is working out beautifully. We, we've uh, had a wonderful trip staying away from the freeways and the, and the superhighways and uh, driving all through all the villages and towns rather than speeding past them on the freeways. And it's, it's, uh, it's been just wonderful. We've met great people that way. And, and so we do uh, keep off the, the main highways as much as we can. While Hanley and Wilby hated each other, they still accomplished something no one had ever done before, a drive across Canada. In our age of highways and high-tech cars, their accomplishment was no small feat. Information for this piece comes from the Globe and Mail, Wikipedia, CBC Archives, and the Kingsden Whig Standard. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canadian History X, and if you did, please leave a like and review. You can reach me through my email at CanadianHistoryX, that's E-H-X, at gmail.com. You can support the podcast at Patreon by going to patreon.com slash That's B-A-I-R-D-O.